It's good to be with you this evening again. As far as introductions, I'm Jeff Wilder, God's messenger boy. My claim to fame is that I was able to convince and have been able to keep Tammy as my wife for 24 years. My uncle told me when I brought her home to meet the family, he said, whatever you do, don't buy her any glasses. <laughs> and I didn't. My next claim to fame is I'm Ellie's daddy. I talked with Tammy today, and she said to please tell everyone hello. Ellie said to tell y'all that she would be here, but that her mean old mama and daddy wouldn't let her skip school. And so uh, <clears throat> they both said to tell you hello. I am honored to be here again. Brother Dio, you don't have to introduce home folks, and I feel like a home folk here. Mississippi, Olive Branch is a home away from home for me, and I am so honored to be back here. I appreciate your shepherds. I appreciate Brother Mike and their uh, pulling and asking and me being here. It's such a great honor, and I enjoy it so much. Thank you for the great song, Lee. I appreciate that, brother. Good singing goes a long way when it comes to mediocre, mediocre preaching, so I appreciate that. I have shared with you when I came that I wanted us to study uh, the book of Acts. And I wanted us to look at some principles that are laid out in the book of Acts that will help us to do something that I believe can be done again. I believe that we are living in a day and age. I believe that God has positioned His people. I believe God has put the church at a place of opportunity that perhaps we haven't been for decades, maybe centuries, to do something that was done in the first century, and we can do it again. And that is, I believe, with all of my being, that we can take the gospel to every creature on this old terrestrial ball. I believe that we have done some things in the past uh, that perhaps have proven to be difficulties for us, that have disabled us from doing this. And I believe that it's time, that it's high time, church, that we refocus on the mission that we have. Remember what Paul said in the church at Corinth, that we have been left with the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus, when He left this old world, He left us with His ministry. And His ministry was simple. Number one, to do the will of His Father. And that will was to seek and to save the lost. I believe we've taken our focus off of that in the church. I believe in the last few decades we've had some peaks. I believe there have been those who have said this is the direction. But I believe it's time. And I will say again, high time for us as a brotherhood to come together and to focus on getting the message out. We have been navel gazers way too long. The proof has been in the pudding. We have fought and fought and fought till our soldiers are tired. Some have become so accustomed to fighting one another that we won't even lay our armor down to honor the dead. And we've got to take the focus off of each other and put it back on Satan where the fight is over the souls of men and women, beginning with yours. 
And I believe, I believe in the providential hand of God, and I believe more than ever God is positioning us to take the gospel to the world. We discussed that in Bible class Sunday morning. It can be done. And I put it to us as plain as I know how to do it. And one reason I love being here in Olive Branch is y'all understand my plain southern vernacular. I can talk to y'all like I talk to folks at home, and y'all understand it, and I appreciate that. And here's the way I put it in Bible class. We've got to get rid of a rotten, stinking, defeatist attitude that we can't do it. Preacher, do you know that there are billions of people on this planet? Do you know that there's one country that has had a, a bamboo curtain up that has not allowed us in for decades that has over a billion people and you think that within 30 to 40 years, within what we can't call a lifetime, a generation, that we can get the gospel to every one of them? There are still some places in this world, preacher, where they don't have electricity and they don't have running water and they don't have the ability to take the internet or to get the TV and you think we can get the gospel to them? That's a rotten, stinking attitude if you hold that. Yes, we can. And I believe God's positioning us to do it. We are in a global recession. Many people put their stock, and I'm not talking about the literal stock that was bought, but they put their emphasis on financial wealth. And we've learned that that can go away overnight. Not only have I been preaching for many years, the congregation I grew up at, Forest Park in Atlanta, I was able to go back and work there with the youth. I also worked for the state of Georgia in the Department of Family and Children's Services. And then when we went to McDonough where we had lived, where my family is from, my daddy's people to that congregation, it began to grow and I went to work there and preached there for nine years and then left there and went to Fayetteville, which is in the same basic community, the south side of Atlanta. And all that time, I was able to build up some retirement and I told the brethren at Fayetteville, when the recession really hit my retirement, I said, my new retirement date is 2057. <laughs> Y'all do the math. I'm going to work from now on. We all felt the hit. And we began to realize that our worth and that our value and that which had substance could not be found in our 401ks and our retirements because they're half and some are even less and some are even gone. And I don't believe it just happened to us in America. It's happened around the world. And we're seeing that riches, we've been deceived by riches. Jesus said it would sow in the parable of the sower. He said that the deceitfulness of riches, that's what he equated the thorns to that choked out the truth. And yet, the world's looking for something of substance. We used to think it might be land. Where I come from, it's dropped in value at least a third, some in half. That old land that's been in our families or that we sought to buy and pay for, it's not as valuable. That doesn't give us something to hold on to. And it's going and it's going. And folks, I know there's not any more of it being made, but the value of it has been cut in half. Our jobs, our status Oh, I don't have to worry about my job. They'll always be doing. And before you know it, there's a pink slip on your desk 
Brethren, the world is looking for something that has some substance to it. And I present to you tonight that it's not money, that it's not land, that it's not a job or career. And we've got to point people to the only thing that has true, eternal substance to it, and that's the Word of God. And I believe that God is positioning us to do that and to do it right now. And we can do it. We've got to come out from behind these closed doors, scared to death. Sunday morning we discussed that. That's where the disciples were. Behind closed doors, scared to death. They didn't realize that the Savior had been raised from the dead. And then we looked at yesterday, when you let Jesus step into your life, things change. That early church was able to do some things because they knew they were saved. They were bold. They weren't fearful. They weren't afraid to confront sin. Tonight, I want us to examine some things about that early church in Acts. Some things that they activated which enabled them to get the gospel to every creature under the sun. That's not Paul's statement. That's the Holy Spirit of God. God himself said that the gospel had went to the world. And the, God, the world would have stayed informed of the gospel if we had kept our end of the deal. But we dropped the ball. And folks, it's time we get back on the ball and we get the gospel to all the world. We've got to get out of our buildings. We've got to get out in the community. And tonight, they went from fearful to fearless. And I want us to quickly, in three points, look at what they did. These are principles that supersede culture. These are principles that supersede every world event. These are things that we can put in our lives that I, Jeff Wilder, a big old boy from the state of Georgia on the map of eternity is not even a bleep, but I can involve myself in these principles and make a difference in the lives of people for eternity. And brethren, if that doesn't excite you, then I don't know what will excite you. And I want us to look at them tonight. How did they go from fearful to fearless? You know, they were in Jerusalem there. Later on, they became another persecuted people, but they had seen their Messiah put to death by his own people. The ruling body, the Romans, were used to be the bad guy, the fall guy for Israel, the Jewish, and they were apostate. They were divided. They were divided. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. The, you had the Zealots. You had all of those groups, even more. They were divided. They weren't practicing true Judaism. And they were divided and put Jesus to death, and his disciples were scared. In that upper room, we looked at it Sunday morning, John chapter 20. They were scared to death behind closed doors. What did they do that enabled them to get the gospel out? The first thing that I want us to take note of is they were fearless because they had a fearless leader. Jesus had demonstrated for them in the flesh how to live a life free from fear. You remember what Brother Paul said to Timothy, his young man, his boy, and you can go there to 2 Timothy. I believe it's the swan song of Paul. It's his last epistle. Before he leaves this old world, he lays down his pen of inspiration, and he says something to Timothy about fear. 
And he said to Timothy, beginning in verse number 6, he identified Timothy's faith heritage. And he said, well, let's go to chapter, uh, verse number 5. When I call to remembrance the sincere, unfeigned, the sincere faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the, the, that spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, be thou therefore not ashamed. You see, we are fearful. And each one of us has a reason to be fearful in spreading the message of Jesus. I don't know if you're afraid that your friends will make fun of you, because they will. If you don't believe it, just hang around a little while. They'll find a habit of yours. They'll find... Uh, something that they can latch on to that they'll make fun of you. I have those things. When the kids start mocking me, they always pull their lapels out on their coat pockets. They always pull their britches up, like I'm afraid mine are going to fall down. And then they will always loosen their tie up here. I was reading to the second graders one year on... Dr. Seuss's birthday or something, I don't know what it was, but they'd call me to the school to read. And they're going to make fun of us. I had on a purple sweater. Boy, I looked good that day. Second graders were lying down the hall. I walked down the hall, and one of them punched another one and said, he ain't got no neck. And another one said, I think he's Barney. (laughs) I could have been a fire-breathing dragon, I'd have scared that little boy to death. You know, I don't know why you're fearful. Perhaps they're going to make fun of you, and and the reality of it is they are. Perhaps you're afraid that they will point to you rather than the Savior and say you're a hypocrite because they know you. And you know what? You have shortcomings in your life as I do. And you have inconsistencies. I don't know why you're fearful. Are you scared to be rejected? Are you afraid that they're going to say, I don't want to hear it? But you know, this fear that has overwhelmed us to the point that we are shut mouth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we got to do something with that. We got to put it away. We got to look to Jesus. The reason they were fearless was because they had a fearless leader in Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 7. I want you to see how Jesus lived a life that he had what we would call a reason to be fearful. But he wasn't. In John chapter 7, beginning, and he had just spoke to them, said some things that were tough. In verse 25 it said, Then some of them of Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom you seek to kill. But lo, he speaks boldly 
And they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know that indeed this is the very Christ? Jesus had a target on his back. They were out to kill him and yet he was not fearful of them because he continued to fearlessly, boldly teach and preach the kingdom. Why? I believe because of his great faith. You remember what the Hebrew writer said, that he was tempted in all ways, all manners, yet without sin? You remember what Paul said to our brethren at Philippi, that he went on the world's greatest missionary journey. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5, the world's greatest missionary journey, God himself and the flesh came. And he dwelt among us. John said that he lived here with us and that we beheld him. Dr. Luke said, Theophilus, I write to tell you about these things that we have heard, that we've seen, and that we know. I want you to understand that Jesus came on this journey he was God himself, became one of us, became flesh and blood. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be happy. He knew what it was like to be sad. He knew what it was like to be appreciated. He knew what it was like to be hated. He knew what it was like to sit at home and have a good home-cooked meal. He knew what it was like to love his mama. He knew what it was like to have sibling rivalry. He knew all of those things. He became one of us. And the thing that I believe propelled him into his boldness and his fearlessness was his faith. Remember what was said about him in Galatians? Brother Paul speaking there to the churches of Galatia, probably southern Asia, and he said this, that we're not justified by our works or by the law, but we are justified by the faith of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? The faith of Jesus? If he was tempted in all ways like we were in the flesh, has your faith ever been tempted? What is faith? That which you believe enough to put it into action. Belief plus work equals biblical faith. If you don't believe it, read Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see what they believed, you'll see what they did, and then you'll see the results. When God got involved, it obtained greater results than they ever could have imagined. Have you ever had your faith tested? Jesus, what did he have to believe? I believe the ultimate thing that he had to believe is that God would raise him. He came willingly and went to the cross for our sins, went in and died in the flesh. And the scripture says time and time again, read the opening of the book of Galatians, where God the Father raised him. Jesus was fearless because of his faith that God was able and would do what he said he would do. Jesus became that which the Father nor the Spirit could stand to behold. He became our sin offering. Became sin for us. And yet he died on that cross in full belief that God would raise him.
Jesus was fearless. The early church was fearless because they had a fearless leader. Jesus was fearless because of his faith. They had a target on his back to kill him, and yet he spoke boldly. Even his own people. Have you ever looked at Matthew 23? I don't have time to go through it. But I'm going to tell you what. Jesus came with the intention to save that which was lost. The house of Israel was apostate. If they had been who they needed to be, they would have recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent. They would have known who he was. He said, listen, you read the prophets, they talk about me, I am he that was coming, that was planned from the foundations of the world, that was prophesied, I am the Christ. They were so apostate they didn't even recognize him. He did everything he could to bring them to repentance as God's chosen people. The genetic lineage in which he would come through. The promised seed of Father Abraham. He would even invoke Abraham's name to bring them to understand who he was, to bring them to repentance, to fall down before God and to see that they were God's chosen people and God had used them to where when Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time, that they could know that they had been used by God appropriately and give God the glory rather than glorify themselves, but they couldn't. Time after time, Jesus had pleaded with them to repent. In that final week before the cross, he gives them a scathing rebuke. He had done everything he could to modify their behavior, to bring them to repentance. Like Paul said to the Roman church in Romans chapter 2, do you not know that the goodness of God, verse number 9, I believe, about, or number 4 of chapter 2, do you not know the goodness of God brings us to repentance? Jesus had demonstrated in every fashion the goodness of God, and yet they wouldn't repent. So what he did was he finally gave them a very tough, tough rebuke. He called them scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Then he says, you're nothing but a bunch of snakes, a generation of vipers. He said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Jesus was fearless to preach a message to people that it was not popular with to the point that he did everything he could to get their attention to where he didn't mind and he wasn't afraid to call them hypocrites. How did the early church get the word out? They were fearless because they had a fearless leader. How was he fearless? Go to Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to show you ultimately and tie this point together. Hebrews chapter 12. Man, I wish we had time to exegete this whole thought. Wherefore, he just gave the faith hall of fame. He just told about the people who had demonstrated their belief, put it into action and in what God had done. He had talked about, I can't even number, he said, and they all died looking for the promise. They died in faith. He said, wherefore? Seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin 
which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the writer, the editor, the author and the finisher of our faith. Here's where it gets exciting. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, Did you see what Jesus did? He kept his focus on the goal. And that's what made him fearless. He kept his focus on the goal. And what was the goal? The cross. And why the cross? Because it's there that He shed His blood and it's there that He redeemed me and you. And you and I have full access to that blood. In immersion today, Romans chapter 6, we meet that blood that cleanses us from our sins based upon our confession, our repentance, and our belief. The cross is what Jesus was focused on and He endured that. Why? Because of the joy set before Him. You and I could once again be in the relationship that God, Yahweh in the plural, Theos, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God had intended for us from the beginning. A relationship to where we were one. A relationship to where He was our Father. Jesus is our brother. The Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, that dwells in us, that holds our earnest, that holds our down payment on our inheritance, would be one. Jesus endured the denial, the spit, the hitting, the blood, the bleeding, the bleeding again and the pain and ultimately the separation from the Father and the Spirit for the first time in all of eternity. He endured all that. Why? So you and I could be redeemed. Why was He fearless? He kept His eye on the goal. The joy set before Him to save us. That early church was fearless to get the job done because they followed a fearless leader. Jesus was fearless even though they wanted to kill him. Jesus was fearless when he had to speak a message that was not popular. And Jesus was fearless because he kept his eye on the goal of saving man. The second point. They went from fearful to fearless. And the reason they were fearless is because they were fearless in prayer. You remember the other day or yesterday I said there's some things we're going to have to do and we're going to have to change. And remember I said change scares people. I don't like change. I, I don't like change. I hope I can keep my truck from now on. I had to put new tires on it 
couple, three weeks ago, and it broke my heart. I like those tires. They looked good on my truck. I liked them. I jokingly asked the fellow when he told me that they had to charge me a disposal fee. I said, can I take them home? I don't like change, y'all. I really, really don't. And I don't know anybody who does. Remember what I said? The only people that I know likes change is a baby with a wet diaper and a lady with a bad hairdo. But we've got to change some things if we're going to get this message out. And one of the things I believe we've got to change is our prayer life. That first century church changed the world on their knees. They were a praying bunch of people. They were prayer warriors. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. And there's something real interesting in Acts chapter 2 that I think we sometimes miss. We quote this scripture. It's one of our favorites. It's there in the end of Acts. You know what happened. Peter and the other apostles had preached that monumental sermon where they connected the Messiah to be Jesus of Nazareth. And the people who had stood there in Jerusalem just a few weeks, about seven weeks earlier, hollering, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Let His blood be on us and our children had come to the realization that their, His blood was on them. And when they put that together for them, that the Messiah that had been promised all the way back was indeed Jesus who they had crucified, they said, scared to death, pricked in their heart, I mean, convicted, sick at their stomach. Men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said, repent, metanoia, change your mind, change your way. Say you're sorry for the right reason and quit living against Jesus and start living for Jesus. Repent and be immersed, be baptized, immersed for the remission of your sins. They already believed. They were already confessing Jesus to be the Son of God. What they needed to do was repent and be immersed. And we know on that day about 3,000 souls were at, They were baptizing all over Jerusalem. People were being immersed. Added to the church that Jesus built. And in verse 41, we began to see the behavior of our first century brothers and sisters. And then they that gladly received the word... Who was that? Those that were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And the conjunction and in the English language that joins two thoughts together of equalness. And they continued steadfastly. That means they stayed at it. You know what that means? That means they stayed at it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, who did the apostles get their doctrine from? Doctrine simply means teaching. Well, they got it from Jesus. John 15, reminded by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't worry. What I've taught you, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance. So they were teaching about Jesus and His teaching, which was the kingdom, the reign and rule of God in their lives. And they continued daily in that, and they continued in fellowship. Brethren, I'm convinced another thing we're going to have to change is our togetherness. We've got to be together more. We just can't do it in the we come together assemblies on the first day of the week and on Wednesday night, maybe Tuesday morning Bible class. And by the way, I look forward to being with you all tomorrow in Bible class. We've got to get together more. 
We got to know where each other lives. We got to know where each other works. We got to get involved in each other's lives. That's the togetherness of the first century. That's the fellowship. But notice what else they were in the apostles' doctrine. They were in fellowship. Verse number 42. They were in the breaking of bread. And then look. And in prayer. They were a praying bunch of people. And I don't disagree. We have those opening and closing prayers. We have some are calling them first and last prayers. And then we have the prayers around the table. And then we have prayer hour or prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We come together and we pray. We pray for those who are sick and afflicted the world over. We pray for God to guide, guard, and direct us in everything we do and to bring us back at the next appointed time. And we pray for the preacher and his family and they're working with us and our elders who oversee us and God grant them wisdom. And we pray for the visiting preacher. We pray that you'll be with Brother Jeff and be with his family as he's away from them. And I'm not against that. But when we're going to get serious about prayer, get past all the fluff and start praying for real needs. When are we going to pray for our sister who just told her husband of several decades goodbye? And sister, I'm sorry. If I'd have known, I'd have been here. When are we going to get together and pray for our brother who's lost his wife? Till we're in tears. When are we going to get together and pray because God has blessed us so much and get specific with my job that we get so serious that we rejoice with each other beyond rejoicing? When are we going to get together and pray for our young people? And folks, I don't know if your part of the country is like my part of the country, but the devil has brought sin so close to the surface of life where we live that it's hard to miss. Back where I come from, our kids are battling. They're battling pornography on the computer. It's so close to the surface. They're battling drugs. Marijuana, it's as commonplace as rabbit tobacco was for some of you in your day. Sexual immorality, it's not just a handful that do. It's nowadays just a handful that don't. It's not longed for in marriage. It's expected on the first date. When are we going to get together and pray for our kids that God will set a boundary around them, that the devil will stay away from them? And when are we going to hold their hands and pray for them and help them? Church, we've got to pray humbly. We've got to pray with expectation that God will answer. We've got to pray persistently and we've got to pray with a forgiving heart if we're going to get the job done of spreading the gospel we've got to quit fighting and holding each other holding grudges 
We got brethren who won't even speak. I, I can't imagine that being here. But I know back home in some congregations, we got people who sit on the same pew opposite ends who won't even speak to each other. And then you go to the throne room of God looking for forgiveness for your sin. You got somebody you won't forgive. We've got to be forgiving people. Jesus demonstrated that in every prayer. I don't have time to go through it. But folks, we've got to become a praying people like we've never prayed before. I learned this lesson about four years ago. My mother's best friend, one of her best friends, you know, mother died very suddenly about five years ago, the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me. Mother's best friend died the following September. Pat was only 50 years old, and, and she was, as we say, she was just ate up with cancer from head to toe. Literally, it was in her skull, and it was in the bones in her feet from head to toe. Pain was excruciating. Pat called me. She lived about four miles from me, and she called me, and she says, Jeff, I want you to pray for me. I said, all right, Pat, I'll be over in just a minute. She said, no, I want you to pray right now. Now, Pat had a sense of humor that would not quit. She said, I want you to pray over the phone. Over the phone? We can't do that. She said, yes, we can. I said, okay, what do you want me to pray for? She said, I want you to pray that I'll die tonight. I said, Pat. She said, I'm serious. I want you to pray, and I want you to pray right now, and I want you to beg God with me that I will die tonight. Very awkward for me to pray for my mother's best friend to die over the telephone. It would have felt much more churchy if I'd have got up and put on my nice clothes and went over to her house and knelt down and held her hand and prayed. It would have felt, my, but she said, "Do it right now over the telephone." I said, "Okay." And Pat and her cute sense of humor said, "Now mute the TV." So I did, and I prayed that she would die. Pat said, thank you. And she said, by the way, do you have Ken Golson's phone number? Ken Golson was a mentor in my life, a friend in theirs. He had served as an elder at the only two congregations prior to Fayetteville I'd been to. I grew up with his children. He had moved to Henderson, Tennessee. I said, yeah, I got Ken's number. What you want it for? She says, I'm going to call him and get to pray in case yours don't work. Pat died two days later, and I preached her funeral. Pat helped me to understand something about prayer, that he's always there. And no matter how ridiculous prayer might seem, he understands. Romans 8 says his spirit is right there with me in prayer. When I'm so spiritually wore out, and defeated, he picks it up and he takes it to the Father for me. Paul said to Timothy that Jesus stands and he mediates our prayers. It's just not because of a formality that we always say in Jesus' name, amen. We have a right to that throne room because Jesus is our brother and he takes it there for us. Church, if we're going to get the gospel to all the world, we've got to become a praying people. And we've got to be known for it. Not just at the expected times, 
but all the time. That's what Paul told our brethren at Thessalonica. Stay in a prayerful state, a conversation. The word prayer means conversation, a conversation with God all the time. Our time's up, but thirdly, I'm going to cover this point quickly. The reason the early church was able to do it, and it will be able to do it, is they kept their eyes on their fearless leader, and he was fearless. They were a praying people in constant communication with headquarters. And then lastly, they were all involved. They had unstoppable mouths. I'm very blessed. I I am blessed in that I've been able to do things that I like to do. I worked for the state state of Georgia and helped families and My mother said this to my boss, who is one of my dearest friends to this day. She said, Phyllis, Jeff's going to kill me for telling you this, but if the truth were known, he'd pay y'all to work there. I was blessed. I had a job I loved. Don't nobody tell the elders at Fayetteville because they're mighty good to me. But if push come to shove, I'd work there for nothing because I love it. I love the people. I work with the best people in all the world. I have the best boss in all the world. Got the best retirement program in all the world. That's why I don't mind working 18-hour days. They say, Jeff, if you don't slow down, you're going to die early. And I look at them and say, that's what I'm counting on. But y'all, I can't do it by myself. Brother Mike can't do it by himself. I don't care how many satellites we put in the sky and we put our best preachers on that preaching, we can't get it done by ourselves. When your shepherds get the business taken care of and mending you and helping you through your difficulty, it can't be just left to them and us preachers to get the job done of telling the world. You see, I don't have a relationship with the person that lives next door to you. I don't have a relationship with your fellow employees. I don't know who your children are. You see, you're the one that has influence in their life. You're the one that has a stock in their life. You're the one that they're looking to for help in difficult days. And yet, you're leaving it up to me and to the preachers of the world and to the elders of the world and the missionaries of the world. And the first century church didn't do that. They had unstoppable mouths. The rabbis weren't just the ones doing the teaching. That's the old way of business. Everybody was telling the story of Jesus. And everybody, because they were His children, had the credentials to tell the story of Jesus. Quit telling me that we've got to send men to preacher training school so that we can get the message to the world. Do I believe in preachers? Yes. Do I believe in preachers training school? Yes. But that's not the reason we're sending them. We need to get every one of us talking the message of Jesus. We need to quit turning our We Come Together assemblies on the first day of the week into our sole evangelistic outreach program. 
That's what we've done to it. If you'll just come and go to church with me, you can hear the gospel. I don't have to step out there and tell you something that might step on your toes. Let our hired hand preacher do it and come to our first day of the week assembly that's our evangelistic outreach program. That's not New Testament worship. They didn't do it that way. They were out on the streets constantly telling the message of Jesus. And they came to their rally point on the first day of the week when they come to have supper with the king. And they poured out their hearts in worship to God. And they got their batteries recharged and they went back out on the streets telling the message of Jesus. And then they would have rally times of prayer meetings in their homes and they would go to God for strength and to get some folks that had been put in a jail, out of jail. And they would go to those times for rally points in prayer and then they'd go back out on the streets telling the gospel. Church, this building, and I'm going to go southern on you here, ain't the only place the gospel must be taught in your home, in your office, at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the hotel clerk's desk. The bus driver who takes you from the parking lot across the street to see where Elvis hung out while he lived here in Memphis. That's where you tell the gospel. Acts chapter 4. In verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Didn't pray for just the apostles and the preachers of the day. They prayed that everyone. Persecuted people. Oh, Paul was, Saul of Tarsus was on them. The church was being persecuted. In verse number 4, And therefore they that were scattered abroad, why? Because of persecution. Who was scattered abroad? The Christians, not just the preachers. And therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Church, they were fearless because they had a fearless leader. They were fearless in prayer warring. And they were fearless with unstoppable mouths. When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus concerning their soul? If it wasn't today, you're behind and you're accountable. If you didn't have contact with somebody, get on the phone and make it purposeful. Write a letter. Go see somebody. Eternity's way too long and hell's way too hot. And I believe that the day's coming that we will stand in eternity with the generation of the first century and we can say we did it too. If we can just believe we can do it, if we'll come out behind our closed doors if we will begin to speak the truth without fear, then we can get the job done. I'm determined to do it. Will you join with me?
and let's get this world told about Jesus. I shared with you how to become a Christian. Immersion is where God saves you. Your obedience takes you to that place. Believe that He is. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be immersed. It's there that you'll meet the blood that will wash away your sins. If you're one of God's children and you're here tonight and you've turned your back on God, our God is a God of second chances. Join in this army that's going to change the world with the message of Jesus. Come home. I'm convinced God still allows time to go because he's waiting on some of his young ones who have left him to come back. Peter said he's not willing, nor is he slack concerning his promises. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. If you're here tonight and you have fallen, come home. If you're here tonight and you need us to pray for you, we're going to commit to be a more praying people. We can help you in any way. Please come while together we stand and sing.